The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You guys buried us when we were one and three. You know? Um, man, we got a lot of warts. Um, but we're here. Does this feel differently this year? Yeah, it's totally different. And, um, you know, they, they know how to raise the level. I think, uh, and I'm anxious to see us on the practice field this week. Um, you know, last year we almost practiced too hard. I don't think any team has been through what we've been through in 10 years, let alone one year. Made it to the playoffs. It's awesome. Um, it's, probably, it's probably the coolest accomplishment I think I've ever had in my life, uh, football-wise. My performance is reviewed by ownership and the board of directors, and ownership has informed me that uh, it wishes me to continue in this role. I don't think that we were really working well as an organization that it would take to really win consistently at the NFL level. Do you plan to explore acquiring Watson again this offseason? I have no plans. It's not going to be the person that takes Jim Harbaugh to the University of Michigan. I hope he stays there. He's a great coach. Steven Ross. Dolphins owner making some news today. We didn't quite expect lightning to strike in South Florida on Black Monday. Multiple openings, including Dolphins coach Brian Flores. I say good afternoon to Shereen Williams. Week 18 is in the books. You know, we were trying to digest and appreciate that game for the ages last night, and then all these firings got in the way of it. It sure did. I texted Rich Passaccia earlier today and congratulated him, and, and he loved the, the text. I didn't get much response from him, but I know he's busy. But it was I told him it was the most exciting game I've, I've ever seen. It was just an incredible, incredible finish by both teams. Never before was there a game that had the fates of three teams riding on the outcome of one game. In the end of the regular season, the final game, at best we've had the – one team in, one team out, or one team's the one seed, the other team's the five seed. The 49ers and the Seahawks had a game like that a couple of years ago. Last night's game had all the drama, all the intrigue, all of the unprecedented decisions that had to be made, and Bisaccia may have coached his way into the permanent job, at least as permanent as these jobs ever are. Sometimes they aren't very permanent at all for Brian Flores, <laughs> the shelf life was three seasons. No playoff appearances, but yeah. I thought they were making progress. Apparently, Stephen Ross did not. The Dolphins making the move today. And let me just make the big picture observation. Because we processed this in real time earlier. Miles Simmons joined me while we were just kind of wading through the weeds of what happened after this. My general position as it relates to coach and general manager. You either fire both, like the Vikings and Bears did today, or you keep both, like pretty much every other team did today. Getting rid of one and keeping the other is a recipe for dysfunction and or evidence of dysfunction because what that message sends, and this isn't all that difficult to figure out. The fact that I figured it out is proof that it's not all that difficult to figure out. For some of the billionaires and oligarchs that own NFL teams, it is difficult to figure out. And when you're an absentee owner like Stephen Ross, it becomes impossible to figure out. When you have the possibility 
for the GM to stay and the coach to go or vice versa, you're letting everyone know moving forward that when the crap hits the fan, and it inevitably will, there is benefit to playing the game behind the scenes, to put the blame on this guy before he can put the blame on you and pit one against the other and the owner sides with one and the other one is gone. That is poisonous. That is toxic. Stephen Ross, you probably don't pay attention to what we have to say. I know you're aware of the website. I don't know if you pay attention to the videos, the show, or whatever, but let me tell you something. You're screwing this thing up when you get rid of one and keep the other. Get rid of both or keep both because the coach and the GM always need to be at every team under the impression that they both succeed or they both fail. They both stay or they both go. And if there's a path for one to stay and one to go, when you hit rough spots, that's when one is going to try to throw the other one under the bus and vice versa. And that's what happened today. That's what happened. I don't need to hear people reporting, oh, there was a power struggle. Of course there was a power struggle. If the coach is out and the GM stays, something not right is going on. And yet again in Miami, something not right is going on. So... That's I'm, that's all I'm, I'm going to say about it. Well, I'm not sure, Mike, what Chris Greer has done to keep his job seventh to keep go a seventh season. He's 47 and 51 postseason appearance, and that was his first uh, year that he was there. He's hired Adam Gase and and Brian Flores and fired them both. So, what has he done to tell you that he has the organization going the right direction? I mean. They've had winning records each of the last two seasons, so I, I don't know. And I'm with you. I think you pair the two together. You have a GM and you have a coach. You do it like the 49ers did. You hire both and you commit to them and you think they're the right people and you put them in place and you let them go for however long they need to go to get it done. And the Dolphins just haven't been able to do that. I mean, they've just changed coaches too much. They haven't gotten the quarterback position right, which almost every one of these firings that we're going to talk about today, that's the one ingredient that's been the same for all of them. They cannot get the quarterback position right. And the 49ers, in my view, are a little bit different because Kyle Shanahan runs this show there. John Lynch works for him. So if they hadn't made the playoffs this year, for example, I was wondering, would Kyle Shanahan throw John Lynch under the bus and hire a new GM? The chances of Shanahan being fired and Lynch staying very, very slim. I just think this is a good old-fashioned internal tug-of-war. Where, and, and this is what drives coaches crazy. I know this. One of the things I've learned over the last 20 years. They hate the idea that they're down there busting their ass on the sideline. And there are people in the luxury suite whispering to the owner and criticizing everything the coach does. And you develop factions. And you develop alliances. And you develop fiefdoms. And you develop agendas. And... God forbid Brian Flores acted like a coach acts sometimes. He's focused on winning. He didn't go to finishing school in 15 years with Bill Belichick. When you're with Belichick all that long, you start to pick up the ways that he projects, and he's prickly and no-nonsense and not big on relationships. It's not about relationships. When I saw that they were leaking that stuff to guys like Jeff Darlington from ESPN, I almost puked, pardon my language. Not that that's anything all that bad. It's just a little graphic at dinner time on a Monday. But... It's not about relationships. What the hell? 
It's about winning football games. It's about having the right atmosphere in place to win football games. And when the owner doesn't work there, and the owner is hearing everything secondhand, and the owner isn't in a position to evaluate the coach every day, and the coach is busy busting his ass. I know I said a couple of minutes ago, that's all I'm going to say about it. Well, I got more to say. And the coach is busting his ass, and he's not in a position to go kiss the owner's ass or play the games that take you away from what you need to do, which is focus on putting the best product on the field creates a situation where people in the front office who are threatened by Brian Flores don't like the way he acts, don't like the way he talked to me, don't like what he said, whatever, whatever. They, they, they gang up on him, and they, they poison the owner against him, and because the owner barnstorms in for games and then goes back to New York, he never knows the difference. And it's sad. I mean, Stephen Ross has got to be in his 80s now. It's not like he's going to have some epiphany at this point. He just doesn't get it. And Congratulations. He's made billions in real estate. That's great. But with his football team, it's been a disaster. And one of the reasons it's a disaster is he doesn't live there, he doesn't work there, and he allows himself to be played by people in the organization who have agendas and who act out on them. And I believe that's exactly what happened in Miami. Well, and if you're going to make those decisions, Mike, and let people influence, you need to be in the building every day. You need to be a Jerry Jones-type owner when you show up every day, when you sit in those meetings. And I know Jerry has the general manager tag in Dallas, but at least he's there and aware of what's going on internally every single day. You can't just show up every once in a while and know what's going on because somebody does get your ear and somebody does influence you. I mean, this is an organization that hasn't had a coach for four full seasons since Dave Wonstadt. They changed coaches all over. Six coaches since Dave Wonstadt that they've had, and that's not counting all the interim coaches that they've had. So you've got to find a head coach that's going to work with your general manager and, and you're going to win with, and you're, it's going to be a long-term relationship. And again, you've got to get the quarterback position right, and who knows if they have that or not. But Brian Flores is going to find a job somewhere else. He's been, a, a, to me, a really good head coach in Miami. They've had back-to-back winning seasons, got unlucky at the end of the season. I know they got blown out by Tennessee. They played hard yesterday. I mean, the Patriots were playing to win that game. Four and two against New England in his career. So they were doing a lot of things right and looked like they were on the right track. And maybe they hire somebody who can get them over the hump. Who knows? But I think Brian Flores is a very good coach. Yeah, and look, the question for Brian Flores now is to assess and select and choose carefully. Because you get one more shot as a practical matter. I think the days of Nora Turner and Wade Phillips are over where you get three shots. I think you get two. So you better wait. Even if it's a year or two, maybe three, find a spot where you can go be successful, reestablish yourself, go back to New England if you need to, and wait for the right opportunity where you can go and have a better outcome, where you can go and work for an owner where you know that everything is going to work out and you're going to have time and the owner is going to be there every single day. The owner is invested. You know, for the fans, for the people in the organization, the team is the most important thing. You know, for a lot of fans, it's, it's, it's all they think about. It's all they follow. And when the owner doesn't behave the same way, it just sends a bad message. And I also think that when the owner relies upon the people who are telling him things during games, when the coach is otherwise coaching the team, it's not fair to the coach. And, uh, and, and Stephen Ross has to live with it. He's the one that's got to go forward now with a new head coach. 
and we'll see what they do. We'll see what they do with the quarterback. I've heard mixed things on whether or not Brian Flores did or didn't want Deshaun Watson. Now you've got Stephen Ross saying he doesn't want Deshaun Watson. Well, he's the guy who wanted Deshaun Watson. He wanted Deshaun Watson. He wanted Tua Tonga-Vailoa. And I can't imagine that they've come to the conclusion in firing Brian Flores that Tua is the answer because that team had a winning record this year do much more to the efforts and skills and abilities of Brian Flores than it did do the effort, skills, and abilities of their starting quarterback. And anyone who doesn't see that, I don't know what to tell you. You're just wrong if you don't see it that way. And, Shireen, as we say, dysfunctional teams do dysfunctional things. And yeah. welcome to the dysfunction if you're a fan of the Miami Dolphins. Because here it is. It's not a new development. It's just another bit of evidence to further prove that your favorite team is a stew of dysfunction. Five consecutive years without a playoff berth, Mike, and I just don't get it because who wouldn't want to live in Florida, in South Florida? Weather's terrific. There's no, no state income tax. Now, next year they're going to have over $70 million in cap space estimated, but that'll be first in the NFL to go spend. They have three first-round picks over the next two years, and I don't believe Stephen Ross for a second when he says – they no longer have interest in Deshaun Watson. I would almost guarantee you they want Deshaun Watson and they will make a play for him in the offseason. I'll be very surprised if that doesn't happen, Mike. Well, you know, because they've seen what happens when you create expectations and you don't deliver. What a problem it is. And frankly, once the trade deadline yeah. came and went and the Deshaun Watson talk ended and Stephen Ross forgot about it and it no longer hovered over the team, what happened? They started winning football games. Yep. So, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he's learned that... Taking Deshaun Watson off the table helps the football team, although embracing <laughs> Tua Tonga-Vailoa as the long-term answer isn't going to help the team either. Sorry, Tua and on, but the, 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 and it's funny because fans, fans of teams who don't like it when people who aren't among them point out the things they're concerned about, they get resentful. We're trying to make your team better. We're trying to point out the things that need to be done to help the team and you should be very pissed off today that Brian Flores is no longer the head coach and you should be resigned to the fact that until Stephen Ross sells the team it's going to be same thing it's the instructions on the shampoo bottle lather rinse repeat it's the same way it is in Chicago where both head coach Matt Nagy and GM Ryan Pace are gone 34 and 31 in four seasons was Nagy he was the coach of the year in 2018 two playoff berths now out the door they've requested reportedly uh, permission to interview with Bills defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier, who was once a member of those great Bears teams. It's been a long time since there's been great Bears team. I still want to know, and I haven't had a chance yet to watch the whole George McCaskey press conference, and I don't know that I want to. I've seen enough of it to make me make mm -hmm. me think I really don't want to watch it. But I, I want to know what happens with Ted Phillips. I don't know. Shereen, have you seen anything about what happens with Ted Phillips? Because as long as he's in charge of the football operation, it's yep. going to be the same stuff. It's going to be Phil Emery. It's going to be Mark Trestman. Yep. It's going to be guys that they hire and eventually fire. At some point, they've got to break this spell. I said last week, it's like the Sultan and Jafar. They've got to break the spell that Jafar has on the Sultan, and they've got to move on. It's going to continue until they get rid of Ted Phillips or at least get him out of, of a position where he has any say over the football operation because he's the one that has brought the Bears and their fans 20-plus years of mediocrity. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say, Mike, as long as Ted Phillips is there. And guess what? He's running the searches. That, that's what McCaskey said today. He's going to run the searches with help from Bill Polian. This is not going to go from the – well for the Bears yet again. No one should be surprised by this. I mean, this is just what we're talking about. Dysfunctional teams do dysfunctional things, and they're back trying to hire another head coach 
now and another GM now, and it's just it, it's the same thing year after year after year. I know Bears fans are tired of this. They should be tired of this. Uh, but it's going to be the same thing as long as McCaskey has Ted Phillips in charge of this thing and hiring the coach and hiring the GM. I, I just think this is going to be a repeated cycle. I see this now. There's a website called ProFootballTalk.com that has a story from 2.49 p.m. Eastern. See, I, was, <laughs> I only slept four hours last night, so I was taking my nap when Josh posted this. But Ted Phillips remains and will work with Bill Polian. And yeah. this is nothing against Bill Polian. I'm not going to make some crack like maybe Bill Polian will suggest that Justin Fields should play receiver. But what I will say, I wouldn't say I'm not – that's not my style. I don't, I don't make jokes like that. But what I will say is this. When you hire any of these guys to be the consultant, whether it's Bill Polian – Ernie Accorsi, yeah. Charlie Cassily, Ron Wolf. When you hire one of these guys to be a consultant, what happens is you hire the guy they would hire. You hire one of their friends. You hire one of their cronies. You definitely yep. don't hire one of their enemies because there's somebody out there that Bill Polian doesn't like because they said something to Bill at one point. He's always had kind of a fiery personality. But what you do is you narrow the universe to the people that Bill Polian would approve of because Bill Polian isn't going to tell you to go hire some guy he doesn't like. He's got his handful of people. And, and also, also, those people will be beholden to him. And I'm sure these guys, when they're at a point where they're not working full-time, they like to feel like they're still in the game. They like to feel like they can text or call the guy that they got the job. Hey, you owe me. You got to listen to me. So I get to play a little puppet master here. I get, to little, I get to guide you in a certain way. I still get to exert influence over the game without actually being employed on a day-to-day basis. I would never hire a consultant. I would never do it. If I believed that I was not capable myself of hiring the right people or utilizing my natural network without having to go out and pay someone to tell me what to do. If I didn't have the capacity already through the people that I employ and the people that I know to come up with a good decision, I would sell the team. I would get out of the business. If you got to hire a consultant to tell you who to hire, you, you, you just go. Go do something else. Cash out. You, you can make a lot of money now. Cash out. The gambling reality is going to make these teams worth more and more. Cash out. Go away. Call it a day because you're not fit to own a team if you can't make these decisions on your own. That's, that, that's, that's what I firmly believe. And every year we see it. Every year we see it. That, that's what's going to happen. Well, consultant. Oh, okay, fine. You're, you're going to hire one of Bill Polian's buddies, and Bill Polian's going to have his fingerprints on your team. And Ted Phillips is still involved, and there's no guarantee anything's going to be any better. I don't know why I'm so pissy today. And I don't know why I care about these teams that are bad. <laughs> it's their fault that they're bad, yeah. right? If you want to be a bad, if you want to be yeah. a crap team, be a crap team. I, I'm not going. I'm not going to get. I'm not going to get myself worked up. But go ahead, be dysfunctional. I don't know why I care. Well, and here's the other thing, Mike, as you've talked about repeatedly throughout the last year is when you draft a quarterback in the first round, you're essentially tied then to that coach and that GM for for two years because you've got to give him time to develop that player. Now, how much of a step back does Justin Fields take in this? And by the way, you've got to hire two people who are sold on Justin Fields. In, in my mind, because you've spent this first round pick on him and maybe haven't even seen enough to know what he is at this point. But to me, you've got to you've got to hire someone that's sold on him being your quarterback. Now, this is a team you look since 2015, the quarterbacks they've started. It's just ridiculous. Some of the names and they haven't gotten that position right. Maybe they don't have it right this time. But to me, that really binds your hands on who you can hire because they've got to be sold on Justin Fields. And there's another angle to this. 
Ideally, you get somebody who's sold on Justin Fields, not somebody who says they're sold on Justin Fields. And once they sign a five-year guaranteed contract, job number one is undermine Justin Fields, prove why Justin Fields isn't as good as they think he is. And then after a year or two, you move on from Justin Fields. I mean, at least Josh McDaniels did that right up front when he became the Broncos head coach and ran off Jay Cutler, who eventually was traded to the Bears, best quarterback they've had statistically since Sid Luckman. But that's what you need, ideally, is somebody that, that will truthfully tell you they're on board with Justin Fields, who has a good plan for how to use Justin Fields. I mean, for all we know, whoever's whoever whoever Napoleon's crony, whoever it may be, that ends up being the GM may, may, may think Justin Fields is smoke and mirrors, and Justin Fields is never going to be a great quarterback, and they need a different kind of quarterback. And, and because of the rookie wage scale that came into place in 2011, it's so much cheaper now. And the consequences are so less dire yep. of using that that top pick and moving on to another player that it's very easy to do if they want to do it. The only thing is they gave up this year's first-round pick. That's the price that they pay, apart from the financial investment. And, and that's why, you know, Shereen, again, dysfunctional teams do dysfunctional things. The moment that they authorized, whoever authorized, ownership authorized, the move from 20 to 11 to draft Justin Fields and give up next year's first-round pick – that should have been the moment that the team resolved to stick with Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace for yep. at least two seasons. And, and maybe that's what Nagy was trying to do. Maybe Nagy was trying, in hindsight, to get through this season with Andy Dalton. And as bad as it was going to be with Andy Dalton, you know you got the promise of Justin Fields and you get your second year and you develop Justin Fields behind the scenes. Maybe that's what they were trying to do. And it just became impossible because, number one, Dalton wasn't very good. And, number two, when we saw Justin Fields, he was pretty damn good, although ultimately, uh, you know, it wasn't good enough to save jobs. So, uh, look, I I I love Chicago. I've only been there one time other than passing through the airport. And we were there for the season opener in 2019. It reminds me of of the perfect blend of Pittsburgh and New York City. And the fans there are passionate. The stadium is an awesome place. The entire experience of Chicago, it oozes that pride and passion for the Bears. And it's astounding to me that they've gone as long as they have without a team that is consistently in contention. And now, with the help of Bill Polian and Ted Phillips, who Bears fans has brought you a total of three playoff wins since 1999, and actually only two seasons that included postseason victories because two of those playoff wins happened the same year in 2006. They're going to they're gonna find your next GM and your next head coach and get ready for more of the same. I can't tell whether or not it's going to be more of the same in Minnesota. In Minnesota, GM Rick Spielman and head coach Mike Zimmer are out. Spielman was there 16 years. Mike Zimmer was there eight years. The Wills bought the team in 2005. First order of business was to move on from Mike Tice. Then they hired Brad Childress. They tried to set up what they called a triangle of authority between Brad Childress, Rob Brzezinski, who's still there doing the contracts, and Fran Foley, who was the GM for like a week because of some resume scandal that took him down and brought in Rick Spielman, who had been with the Dolphins before that. Spielman has been there the entire time that the Wilfs have owned the team, but for that initial stub when it was Fran Foley as the general manager or whatever the title was. Zimmer's been there eight years through ups and downs and highs and lows and playoffs every other year, except 
the past two. They were on an every other year postseason track until 2020 and 2021. Uh, and now, Shireen, hey, I, I look at it. I don't know what they're going to do. And 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 th- this is another group that needs to move to Minnesota. Or, or if you're not going to move to Minnesota and show up every day, you need a VP of football operations who has the passion that an owner should have, who's going to be there every single day, providing the accountability, providing the steady hand, supervising and and ensuring and and being the owner in the absence of the owner i still think it's better to have the owner there but this is the next best thing they've got a great stadium they've got impeccable facilities the wilfs will spend money they authorized big money on kirk cousins they'll spend the money they'll spend up to the cap and beyond and they finally reached the point where they said enough and the only encouraging thing so far the most encouraging thing we'll see where they go from here the most encouraging thing is they've reached the point where they've decided that just good enough, something I've harped on for weeks, just good enough is no longer good enough. They said today they want to contend for championships like they used to. And we'll see if they can get there. This is going to be a critical hire, GM and head coach. But there's plenty of, of reason to be optimistic about what they have there. And we'll see if they can hire people who will come in and get the job done the right way. Well, and you look at them, Mike, they had 14 games decided by one possession. Eight of those were losses. That's one short of the NFL record. So they do look like they're close to getting over that hump. They were 31st in defense, which, as we know, is Mike Zimmer's specialty. And that was after guaranteeing $46 million in defenders in the offseason. And they just didn't get it done defensively, 24th in points allowed. So they've got to be better on defense, but you would expect or I would expect them to look toward the offense uh, when they make this hire as opposed to the defense, which they had under Mike Zimmer. And, you know, they gave him eight years and he had three postseason appearances, but they just, again, they got to the championship game one time but couldn't get over that hump. They've been to the NFC Championship twice since the Wilfs bought the team in 2006. They had the year where Brett Favre fell into their laps, and despite the best efforts of Brad Childress to muck it all up, he eventually did with 12 men in the huddle, and then Brett Favre did what he had to do, thrown across his body for the Tracy Tracy Porter interception that prompted our friend Paul Allen to shout, this is not Detroit, this is the Super Bowl. 2009-2017, that's it in 15 years, and that's not good enough. It, it may be just good enough to be on the fringes of the playoffs every year, but the Wolves have decided just good enough is not good enough, and we'll see what they do. They hold the 12th pick in the draft. They've got Kirk Cousins under contract for one more year at a fully guaranteed salary of $35 million. I don't know that they can find somebody who would take on that salary and give them net draft pick compensation. I've seen opinions all over the place. Oh, they'd easily be able to trade. Kirk Cousins, look at his numbers. I don't care about his numbers. What I look at is when the play that's called goes to hell, what does he do? He folds up and crumbles. You can't have that in the NFL because there are going to be plays that go to hell and the walls are going to cave in and you got to be able to do something when the walls cave in. He has shown a little more this year, a little more athleticism and ability to improvise, but not nearly enough. And good luck getting somebody to take on $35 million fully guaranteed, plus uh, no guarantee for what his contract situation will be beyond this year, and uh, get, get them to give you stuff. I, I, I think that whoever takes that job has to accept the fact that they may have to spend a year with Kirk Cousins and see how it all goes. But even then, even then, I think it's an attractive landing spot because the Wolves will pay for players, 
They've got an awesome practice facility that's just a couple of years old, and they've got a great stadium and a great home field advantage and a passionate fan base that, that you know, that, that just wants that wants to feel like the organization is as committed and passionate about winning as they are. Yeah, those fans definitely are passionate, Mike, and they do want to win, and I think they deserve uh, a good team, and they haven't had that in a while. One thing they're going to have to do with whoever the GM hire is, they're going to have to clean up that salary cap. I mean, they're already projected to be $7 million over, and we know that's easy. You can move money around. We know all those things, but they're going to have to clean that up a little bit moving forward, uh, and they ha- do have the 12th overall pick this year, so they'll be able to pick some players, but they've got to pick better they- than they did in this past draft. They did not have a good draft, Mike, and I think they paid for that in some ways this season with not enough young players contributing. One thing they've done that is very admirable, as their own players develop and perform well, they do yep. reward them. They find a way to keep them around. But that's how they got themselves into a cap mess. You can't keep everybody. There is a point where you have to draw the line. And, and look, I, we were talking earlier today, Mike Golick and I, about Rich Passaccia and what happens with him with the Raiders and should he be the head coach. And Golick said sometimes the answer is staring you right in the face. And, and he's right. I've come around on Basaccia. I think what happened last night and what they've been able to accomplish, I think Mark Davis should keep Rich Basaccia. The Vikings should have done the same thing with Case Keenum. Look at what he did in 2017. 13-3. and three, yeah. Great. And, you know, they, they, they weren't fluky wins. They were convincing wins. They were a solid team. They didn't have Dalvin Cook for most of the season. Sam Bradford got injured early and opened the door for Case Keenum. They had the Minneapolis Miracle. They got within a game of the Super Bowl. And, you know, they could have kept Case Keenum for at least $10 million a year less than Kirk Cousins, but they saw this as their way to, to dump one guy and go all in with someone else, and, and that was a disaster. I think that, Shireen, is why Spielman got fired. Because overall, Spielman's done a good job, but they, they, they hitched their wagon to Kirk Cousins, and he went to the playoffs one time in four years, and he made many, many millions of dollars and, and ultimately, ultimately missed a key game that would have potentially kept their playoffs hope, playoff hopes alive uh, because Spielman and Zimmer and no one else in the organization could prevail upon Cousins to get himself vaccinated. I think that's why Spielman's gone, because the Cousins experiment blew up in their faces. All the more reason to think that, that yeah. Cousins will be gone sooner than later. Yeah, I would think so too, Mike. And you're right. They could have kept Case Keenum, and I was really confused why they didn't do that after what he did that season. You could have kept him on the cheap, and then you could have looked for your future franchise quarterback, whether that was in the draft or signing somebody or however you did that. But that's the move in hindsight that they should have made rather than going out and spending all the money on Kirk Cousins, giving them fully guaranteed contract that just has not worked out well for them. All right, from the coaches who are out to the coaches who are in, at least still in, at least for now. But as we know, it's always subject to change. We'll have more PFTPM for you right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. 
you know, I've got a, a great relationship with uh, with Joe, and um, I've learned a lot from him. Um, you know, about the game, and and uh, you know, we'll continue to to work and, and continue to uh, you know grow in our in our communication. I, mean, I, I love Coach Judge. He's a he's a great leader. Um, extremely smart coach. I've always thought he's an amazing coach, and he's allowed me to flourish that much more. Um, since I've been here. Dex, so basically this is this locker room is basically 100% behind Judge. That's what I believe, yes. We showed up today, everybody showed up, and, you know, we, we listened to him, and, you know, we believe that he he, he has a plan for us to, to grow as a team and as individuals. That's not what I understand. My understanding is the locker room's divided on Joe Judge as coach of the Giants. The problem is ownership likes him, and ownership... Shireen, I believe, is very sensitive to the reality that they've ripped through coaches every two years. It went from Ben McAdoo. I mean, it really wasn't that long ago in the grand scheme of things that he showed up for his press conference in that big-ass suit. Remember that? That wasn't that long ago. It was six years yep. ago. We had Ben yep. McAdoo for two years. We had Pat Shermer for two years. We've had Joe Judge for two years. And my, my understanding is that ownership is going to let the next GM make the call. And... That means whoever the next GM is is going to be critical to it. If it's promotion of Kevin Abrams, which many believe is going to happen, although I don't understand why, if Dave Gettleman wasn't getting it done, you promote his top lieutenant into that job. I don't get that. Or if it's somebody who's tied to judge by way of relationship, shared experience in New England, that kind of thing, then it points to judge. Uh, if they end up hiring somebody who's got no ties to Judge whatsoever, that doesn't bode well for Joe Judge. But that's going to be the first step. And and given the clumsy way that they handled the Dave Gettleman retirement and it's a decision he's made in the past few days, I mean, give me a break. We've known for weeks that he's out. So this may all be just some sort of a ruse to to make it look like it isn't all preordained. It isn't all predetermined. It isn't a job that's already been concluded and they're working backward i I, th I think what's going to happen is they're going to end up hiring a gm that fits the profile of somebody who is content to stick with joe judge and they're going to move forward and just like the dolphins just like the bears dysfunction is going to continue well mike i have to be honest over the last two weeks some things that joe judge have has done have done I, it prompted a question for me. Does he want to be fired? Does he want to be there? And in my mind, he's done a couple things that makes you think he was trying to get fired. You go back to the clown speech. This is not a clown organization calling out coaches from other teams. Ron Rivera uh, didn't like what he said about about his team. And then you look at the quarterback sneak on, on what was it, third and 39 in zone four. They were trailing three to nothing. Now, who does that? Like, that's just stupid. Like, who, who calls for a quarterback sneak down there? It just made no sense to me. I mean, run a play. This is a guy who's in, who in his opening press conference said, we're going to play with a relentless, relentless competitive attitude. That's not a relentless competitive attitude when you have nothing to play for and you're calling a quarterback sneak. It's just ridiculous. So I did wonder that. Does he even want the job? To me, that's a well, big question that needs to be asked by whoever the GM is. His explanation for that play, if we want to show it again, you know, it was basically yeah, no. they needed yeah. some room so they could pump. That, that's something you do. It's dumb. If you're in it, if but uh, 
it's dumb in that setting because who cares if you get your punt blocked? Who gives a crap at that point? The game is meaningless. Yeah. It's something that has meaning if you're in a game that still has relevance to your postseason standings, if the situation and the circumstances call for that kind of thing. I mean, this is the kind of Bill Belichick move that we would praise because he would use it in the right game, at the right moment, under the right conditions, at the right time. When Joe Judge does it, it just looks kooky. Because there's who cares if you don't have enough room for your punter? The game doesn't matter. It's over. You're going to line up in this weird reverse flying wedge formation to try to jam the ball. Like, like I've been planning to do this for three years under the right circumstances, and I haven't used it yet, and I'm going to go ahead and use it and show everybody how smart I am. It really is strange. And you tie that together with his press conference from last Sunday, his 11-minute diatribe, his comments from last Monday where he essentially admitted to tampering, although you know, the prevailing thought is it was all a, a bunch of BS and he really doesn't have guys who used to play for the Giants calling him up saying, I want to come back. Uh, it, it's just, it's odd to me because he's not behaving like somebody who believes he's safe or wants to be safe or both. Well, and the other thing, Mike, I think that is damning for him is when you look at how the Jaguars, the Texans, the Lions really fought to the finish yesterday, had nothing to play for, two of those three teams won. And the Giants didn't do that. To me, they didn't look like a team that was playing to win. They, were, they weren't running the plays that the Lions were running, uh, the flea flicker the Texans ran to kind of get back in that game. They weren't doing any of that type of stuff to try to win a, a game that was meaningless. Instead, they're running quarterback sneaks on third and nine. So, you know, I, that tells me that, that the, it makes me question whether the players really want Joe Judge back. Hey, the Dolphins. Uh, the Dolphins. They had nothing the to play for. That's they beat the Patriots. Team. Yep. Yeah. And their coach got fired. Uh, hey, I, I, I love covering the NFL because you have multi-billion dollar football operations that are staffed with people who have devoted their lives to understanding their craft and being as good as they can be. And then these teams are owned by monarchies, basically, people who have made yeah. billions in other lines of business who actually think it's easier than it looks, and they don't know what the hell they're doing. And that disconnect between ownership that doesn't know what the hell it's doing, with no buffer, with no safeguard, but no board of directors other than in Green Bay, and you, you, you get these broad-sweeping decisions that are made on impulse when you juxtapose it against all the money and all the time and all the investment in the football operation. There's nothing else like it other than professional sports, and I think the NFL is the most shining-slash-glaring example of it. Houston Texans, speaking of dysfunction, David Culley, 4-13. and They won two of their final four games, and no one expected anything out of the Texans this year. We saw a horrible season for the Texans a mile away. They went out and signed a bunch of veteran players on short-term deals. It felt like they were just trying to patch a roster together. Nobody expected them to be any good last year. They were actually competitive. They had a few moments for which they can be proud. But, but there's this nagging sense that David Culley is not long for the job. Let's hear from Culley from a little earlier today, and then we'll give you our thoughts on where things stand between him and the Texans. As far as I know, I'm the head coach of the Texans right now, and moving forward with that. How do you feel about all the players supporting you out there? Well, John, I hope they would and expect them to, too. Uh, but that, I'm not surprised with that. You know, the, they've been all in from the word go. Have you spoken with Nick or Mr. McNair, uh, Cal, about your future yet? Not at all. 
And I will not speak to them. They'll speak to me. I haven't had anything scheduled. Is it? If you're keeping your coach and you understand the nature of the business, so many people paying attention, so many people talking about it, so many people speculating, reports swirling, curiosity surely consuming the coach who's at the center of this storm. How many people who have any concern about their job status have to talk to reporters about it? How in the hell do you not let the guy know what you're going to do? If he's safe, why don't you tell him he's safe? And the fact that they haven't told him he's safe tells me either they are completely clueless and dysfunctional or he isn't safe. And I don't know which one the truth is. But, you know, Shireen, there is a sense that that he could just be the guy who held the job for a year while they went through a crap season. They didn't have to subject Josh McDaniels, for example, permanent coaching record to 4-13, and and now they go hire somebody else who they would have hired a year ago. And Cully gets a nice little severance package. He got to say he was an NFL coach for a year, and he moves on with his life. Well, and you wonder if Brian Flores, who they obviously had a relationship with in New England, maybe changes their thinking, too, if they were considering keeping David Colley. Maybe they're thinking Brian Flores is the guy that we want, because I do think it'll be somebody with New England ties if, if they move on from David Colley. He had the same number of wins that they had last year when they had Deshaun Watson, and you look at the quarterbacks they played this year in Tyrod Taylor and Davis Mills, and they, had, they signed the most free agents in history and still managed to win four uh, games, upset the Chargers and upset the Titans, and the Titans were lucky to get the number one seed after losing to the Texans earlier this season. So, you know, I think he did a really, really good job for the talent that he had. I think he deserves a second year. I think he grew into the job. He made a lot of questionable decisions early in the year especially, but I think he grew into the position some and deserves a second season based on the talent that they gave him. And here's the real question. To the extent that he came out a few weeks ago and admitted that that Nick Casario, the GM of the team, basically serves as a puppet master on game days and has a headset not to listen. In New England, Nick Casario had a headset so he could listen to the conversations among the coaches. In Houston, Casario actually participates in the conversations and chimes in on strategy, etc. To the extent that Casario wants to continue to do that, Maybe he doesn't. Maybe one year of it's all he wants, and he wants a coach where he can just go back to listening. But if he wants to continue doing it, I don't think Brian Flores is going to tolerate it, and that's part of the analysis then. Does Casario want to continue to be the shadow coach of the Texans, or does he want to bring someone else in there? But they they continue to be a team that that is, by all appearances, dysfunctional. And just the fact that, that, that David Culley doesn't know 24 hours after the season ended. It's not like they haven't had time to come up with a plan. This isn't some stunning development. It's not like they just missed the playoffs yesterday and now they have to figure out how to pick up the pieces like the Colts possibly would have to do, although it sounds like Frank Reich isn't in any real danger. It's just a weird situation, and it just just goes to show you that there are many teams out there that ultimately have issues when it comes to properly functioning and operating. The Seahawks have not been one of those teams. Ten straight winning seasons, although this year 7-10. and A couple of wins down the stretch to make it feel a little less of a disaster. My understanding is Pete Carroll is going to be back along with GM John Schneider in large part because a year or so ago they both got extensions. Pete Carroll makes more than $15 million a year when you factor in the official pay and the stuff that gets funneled to him elsewhere. They're not going to finance that buyout. They're not going to Throw in the towel after one down year, especially when it all traces back 
to the injury that Russell Wilson suffered on a Thursday night, week five against the Rams. He missed a month, and he was never really the same after that. And so I think they keep Carroll, they keep Schneider, and they spend the next several weeks or a couple of months hoping they can prevail on Russell Wilson to stick around for at least one more year. Yeah, they're both signed through 2025, and you start doing the math, it gets up over $50 million, and I just don't think they're going to do that despite all the money that the Allen family has. I just don't think they'll they'll move on from them. So I do think they'll be back, Mike, but the, the question becomes at 70 years old, do you have the taste for a rebuild? I mean, this does not look to me like a team that's just going to suddenly be back in the playoff chase again next season. They made one of the worst trades that's going to go down in NFL history probably in Jamal Adams and have no first-round pick again. So they've got a lot of rebuilding here to do, and, and I just don't know how long that's going to take with or without Russell Wilson. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, who's to blame for some of the things that went sideways in the 2021 season? We'll do that when this Monday edition of PFTPM continues right after this. You know, if you're going to talk about the beginning of the season, if you're going to talk about it's not what happens, it's how you respond, um, then you better be ready to live it, I guess. And uh, they lived it. No one ever pointed a finger. Everybody competed the best they could. This is um, this is the tough side of things in that uh, from the beginning of training camp to now that um, we've built something really special and we're building something really special and the guys in that locker room have made it special and um, that they should cherish this season with one another because it was special and that we accomplished a lot. We're not in the tournament, which is disappointing, um, but there was far more that we accomplished together than not. It's a bad feeling, uh, completely bad feeling, uh, knowing that you know we were in control being in control of our destiny uh, last two weeks, and we just couldn't get it done. All right, a little who's to blame as we do the postmortem on the 2021 regular season for the 18 teams that aren't advancing. Colts lose their final two to the Raiders and the Jaguars and miss the playoffs. Who's to blame for that one, Shereen? I'm going to go Frank Reich. This is a team with seven Pro Bowlers, Mike. You've looked over the last two years. This just dawned on me. They're 2-2 two and two against Jacksonville. That's just... That's a fireable offense almost in itself, but he's the one who wanted Carson Wentz. He's the one who said, I can win with him. He went to bat for him, and now he's noncommittal, as he should be, on Wentz's future with the team after the season. It just didn't work out, and they gave up too much for him, too, Mike. So I'm putting it on Frank Reich. They just didn't get it done. They needed to win, what, one of their last two games and couldn't do that. Yeah, they started the 2020 season with a trip to Jacksonville and lost, and Jacksonville went on to lose their next 15 games and five or so into the next season. And then they capped this season with a trip to Jacksonville on clown-out day where the Jaguars had just gotten trounced by the New England Patriots, gave up 50 points. It's amazing that Frank Reich did not have his team ready to go to Jacksonville and take care of business. I think there was just an arrogance there. They thought all they had to do was show up and they were going to win, and it failed. I agree with you. This is on right. The talent is there. And and I, I would have been far more inclined to bet on Jim Irsay firing Frank Reich this morning than Stephen Ross firing Brian Flores. Chargers lose three of their final four games. They blow the opportunity to tie last night's game with an untimely timeout. They miss the playoffs. Who's to blame there? 
Well, I'm sure that real football people will know that Brian Staley is not to blame for that, but I am putting it all on him at the risk of being a not a real football person, Mike. But you just look at look at the call he made there on fourth down. I mean, I don't even know that analytics people agree with that. The fourth and one at their own 18 with the two-yard loss. They ended up, they just gave up a field goal for that and were very fortunate. But they went four of 18 on third down, six of seven on fourth down. If they'd just be better on third down, they wouldn't have to go for it on fourth down all the, all the time. But you go back to that Chiefs game, some of the decisions he made in that game. He just strictly uses analytics and doesn't, and sometimes doesn't even look at analytics, just decides we're going for it on fourth down. And I just think some of the times that it was reckless, and I think it cost him a playoff spot. That explanation for calling the timeout, he said, we didn't have the right personnel in there, our yeah. best personnel to stop the run. Well, they need better personnel to stop the run if that's the best they have because they gave up nine yards on that play. But that timeout operated as a reset button. It, it punctured yep. the reality that was creeping in inevitably and almost certainly that this thing was just going to be a tie and both teams were going to get in. It was moving in that direction. And the contrast I made earlier today, and I want to write about this at some point tonight, the fact that Bill Belichick, Super Bowl 49, remember when the clock was tick, 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 ticking for the Seahawks and everybody thought he should call a timeout, and his instincts, based on all those years of coaching, his instincts told him not to. And, 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 And this is the problem. And I, Analytics Mafia is going to come after us, but I don't care. I'll gladly sleep with the fishes on this one. You lose that instinct. You lose that gut feel. When all of your decisions are driven by formulas and and calculations and objective factors, you lose that thing that may whisper to you, don't. Don't do that thing that a cold, hard, objective analysis would maybe suggest you should do. Dean Pease was trying to articulate that last week, but I think that's the contrast. Belichick in Super Bowl 49, not calling the timeout. Brandon Staley last night, calling the timeout and ruining the moment that would have delivered a playoff berth for both teams. Yeah, and you have to have that gut instinct, Mike. And to me, it just seems like in some of these situations, he doesn't have it. He's strictly looking at what analytics tell him. And you've got to have that gut feeling. And, you know, Bill Belichick kind of poo-poo's analytics, but we all know he uses them. But he also uses his gut, and he's just got a great feel for the game. And Brandon Staley, maybe he's capable of finding that, but he just can't purely rely on analytics every single time. Who's to blame for the Ravens losing the final six games of the season and missing the playoffs? Who's to blame there, if anyone? Yeah, I don't think anyone's to blame there, Mike. It's injuries. They have a who's who list of those who were injured. 17 players on IR, and we know that Lamar Jackson wasn't on IR but missed the last four games with that ankle injury. They lost their entire running backs room. It it was just one injury after another for that football team. Some some years it just seems like it's not your year. This just wasn't the Ravens' year, and what a coaching job I believe that John Harbaugh did just to get them where they were. Yeah, I think this one just falls into the stuff happens, or another word that starts yeah. with S but has one fewer letter happens category. Uh, some years it's just it really isn't your year, and it doesn't mean you give up. They didn't give up. They had those two games that came down to two point conversion attempts that failed. One was so close to being 
a completed pass just off the glove of Mark Andrews. The other one, if Tyler Huntley rolling to the right. they You know, someone was explaining to me that if they just would have started that play against the Packers on the left hash mark, Huntley would have had more space to roll to the right and maybe spot that Marquise Brown was streaking across the back of the end zone wide open. They win one of those games. Maybe it's, you know, it's a different vibe yeah. yesterday. They win that game. They get to the playoffs. So I just think it's... It, it sometimes can be attributed to too much crap happened for anyone to overcome. Let's go ahead and take a break. Quick game of fill in the blank as we wrap up this Monday edition of PFTPM right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. 47-yard attempt. Biggest kick of the year for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Snap good, hold good, and Raiders in, Chargers out, Steelers in. This thing could have ended in a tie. Chargers call a timeout. How did that shift the strategy? Yeah, it definitely did, obviously. Uh, but we, we we knew no matter what, we didn't want to tie. We wanted to win the football game. Obviously, if you tie, you're in, and all, I think all those things. But my mindset all day, I even was texting with Aaron Rodgers this morning. Yeah, my mindset was to make sure that we were the only team moving on after this. I didn't know that Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr were friends. I wonder if they compare notes on their fake Southern accents. Anyway, anyway, I, did I say that? Are we back on the air? Are we back on the air? I'm sorry. I, I didn't realize yeah, we were back. We are. Um, the the uh, All right, fill in the blank. Let's get right to it. Let's just forget anything that I just said. Last night's Chargers-Raiders game was what? I'm going to say the best game I've ever seen. It was just incredible to end regulation Whoa. like it ended and to end overtime Whoa. like it ended. Whoa. Last plays, last plays of regulation, last play of overtime. Mike, when they announced that they were going to have 17 games, I admit, I thought week 18 would just be a bunch of trash, meaningless games. That was one of the best weekends of the season. That was incredible football all weekend long. The best game you've ever seen in your entire life? I, it going was. That far? It was incredible. I am. And I, I didn't have a horse in the race either, but just to watch that game was incredible. I think it was the best regular season game I've ever seen, and the passage of time is making me feel it was even better than Chiefs-Rams because it was different, because it had yeah, that it element of a third team whose playoff hopes were hinging on it, unlikely playoff hopes, with a guy who, if he gets in, who knows what's going to happen. He's got that vibe of, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm retiring. I'm going to leave it out on the field. They all came together, just like the Three Rivers, the confluence of the three teams. And uh, I, I think it was the best regular season game I've ever seen, and we'll never see another one like yeah. it, although I hope I live long mm -hmm. enough to find out if something could approach it at some point. Rich Basaccia, what? Fill in the blank. Is a head coach, whether it's with the Raiders or somebody else, Mike, I think he deserves that opportunity. When you're around someone a long time, you can see if they're going to be a head, good head coach or not. I was around him for five years. The way the players reacted to him, I knew he was going to be a good head coach. Rich Basaccia won that job last night, and hopefully Mark Davis realizes that he can't. He can't take Basaccia away from the locker room coaching staff 
the fan base, not after last night. And I think as time goes by, Davis will realize it. We are out of time. Enjoy the college championship tonight. See you tomorrow morning. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.